The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. And sponsored by March Communications, connecting innovation and people. Welcome to the Echo Chamber. Um, we are joined on today's show by David Gallagher from Omnicom PR Group. David, welcome. Hey, Arun. Thanks. Uh, David, you are you're back from um, a, a holiday in Italy, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, ten amazing days, and uh, mostly in in Puglia, the heel of the boot, and then a few days in in Rome. So I apologize if I uh, sound like I still got. Pasta or Chianti on my mind. I'm, I'll be to- totally in the moment. <laughs> okay, excellent. Well, I thought it would be interesting to talk to you, almost something of a, of a kind of emergency podcast, because, you know, a few things happened uh, while, you were, um, while you were gallivanting around Italy. Um, the industry has been in the news a lot. But before that, I should probably say this is, it looks like my last um, podcast uh, in the UK, uh, at least in this, on this kind of UK sojourn, which has been eight and a half years, because next week, I guess m- many people will, will already be aware, but just in case, uh, probably worth pointing out that next week, myself and my family, of course, will be returning back to Hong Kong from whence we came in 2008. Uh, and so we'll keep podcasting from Hong Kong now. And uh, hopefully I'll see you in those parts of the world as well, David. Well, you, you certainly will. And uh, I'm honored and flattered to be, uh, help you conclude this chapter of your continued uh, successful journey. And I uh, look forward to hearing your observations on the industry once you're, uh, you're back in Hong Kong. Yeah, you're t- well, you're too kind, obviously. I mean, I, I kind of wondered whether I should, I should write one of these posts about the things I've learned on my journey in the UK. But, well... Um, I would look forward to that. I think a lot of people would like to hear your views on that. I've, uh, yeah, it's quite busy at the moment. I have a lot of furniture to move out of my house. So maybe, maybe once I'm settled. Um, so let's talk about some of these issues that are in the news. So obviously the, the big story, and it's actually one we've been covering, covering for a few months now. And I was wondering when it would kind of explode in the UK. Because for a very long time I felt no one is really paying it that much attention over here. Um, and yet in South Africa, of course, uh, as you would probably have been aware, because you, you um, are also a pretty regular visitor to that country, uh, it's, been a, it's been a huge story, Bel, the, the whole Bell Pottinger crisis, uh, which has, uh, as of last week, claimed um, one member of staff, they've suspended three others, they've issued an apology for the work they've done on behalf of the Guptas, it has brought the PR industry back onto the front pages, um, for all the wrong reasons, I would suggest. Uh, any thoughts you might have on this particular story, David? Well, you know, I guess like you, I was surprised that it, it took a while to, to bubble up uh, here. I, I was in Johannesburg just a few weeks ago, or maybe a month ago, and it was a pretty big topic of conversation there. You know, I, I, I really only know what I've, I've read from you and a few others on the, on the specifics. I'm not sure how helpful it is for me to... To, to comment on it, but but you're right. You know, yet again, it, it feels like uh, the the only news you get on uh, on PR seems to be this type of 
of coverage that doesn't always reflect well on, on who we are or what we're trying to, to do. So I, I hope it's resolved in, in a way that, that meets everybody's expectations about what we're able to do. But but yeah, it was uh, not, not, not the kind of headline you want to see about our industry. No, it's true. It's, I mean, it's an interesting phenomenon. The... Um... <sighs> I mean, I'd, I'd, if, if listeners are unaware about the Bell Pottinger story, you know, if you, if you visit our website, you'll see a lot of coverage. Um, the agency is, is also being investigated by the PRCA over uh, potentially, um, you know, uh, violating the code of conduct. But I think that that still has some way to run. Uh, and we'll see what happen, happens. I think it's, you know, it's an unfolding story. We're still waiting for... Bell Pottinger's own um, report. They've commissioned a law firm to audit its behavior quite rightly, I think. Um, they will be hoping that that report, I think, draws a line under everything. Um, I, I, you know, on the one hand, I hope for the sake of all the people that work there, it does. But uh, on the other hand, um, if you look at the, uh, the emotion that this has engendered in South Africa, I'm not entirely sure it will. So We'll see how it plays out, but as you as you as you mentioned, you know it does um, bring PR into the limelight for the wrong reasons. Uh, and at the same time, of course, um, a gentleman by the name of Rob Goldstone has also <laughs> I knew you were bring that. has also uh, uh, helped helped uh, bring PR uh, into the spotlight. Um, he is apparently the go-between who facilitated meetings between. A Russian lawyer, is it? And, um, and Donald Trump Jr., Jared Kushner, and uh, Paul Manafort. Um, so an another great look for PR. Yeah, I, I was afraid you would, uh, you would go there. And that, that literally uh, popped off my, my Twitter feed when I was uh, on holiday. And I think you and I exchanged a few, a few comments about it. You know, every time one of these guys appears, my first reaction is, uh, great. I'm going to have to explain to my mom again that that's not actually uh, what, I, what I do or, or how we would, we would describe ourselves. And then, yet again, you've got kind of a, you know, an arguably questionable go-between, um, practicing uh, dark arts and illustrating PR in a way that I think none of us would, uh, you know, want to tell our, tell our moms about. Mm. Um, you know, Sorry, so I have an emotional reaction when I hear that. I, you know, I, I really hate seeing our industry portrayed uh, that way, and I'm, I'm still looking for you know, the, the right case to, to put before the, the public to give people a better idea of what we do and how we do it. Yeah, but I suppose one of the issues here is that the public, as represented by the media, is not especially interested in positive... Uh, uh, interpretations of PR, right? It's um, yeah. It's uh, the, the, you know, I mean, bad news always sells. We know that anyway. But I feel like when it comes to public relations, there's a little bit more in, in play, perhaps. And I, I wondered what your view on that is. Do you, do you feel like PR gets gets a worse rap than other industries when it comes to the mainstream media? Oh, I don't know. You know, we're all. I guess defensive, and it's probably more of a matter of uh, pride or vanity than than reality. You know, my, so my emotional response is, uh, you know, here's another house of cards type portrayal of, of what we do and, and, and how we do it. Uh, I'm not sure that that most of the the general public uh, is aware or, or cares much about what we do, and that's just part of the nature of our, our behind the scenes 
uh, activity. And I'm not sure we're, we're even meant to be on the on the stage. Maybe that's part of the problem is that when the, when the light shines on us, uh, we're, you know, we're, we're usually portrayed in a way that's that, that's not very flattering. Uh, mm. You know, we've in the industry, we've been talking for decades, at least as long as I've been involved with the, the need for better PR for PR. Um, mm. And it's, it's an interesting concept. I, I guess I just, you know, if we were practicing what we preach, we'd probably be a little more specific about what it is we're trying to achieve with that and who it is we need to uh, uh, to convince or, or engage in order to have a, uh, you know, uh, a better understanding of what we're what we're trying to do. Mm. And in that case, maybe you don't worry too much about the, the general public. You get a little more specific. But uh, but that's honestly, it's not my like. Many of our colleagues, that's not my first emotional response. I, I stand up and shout every time I see us portrayed in such a, you know, such mm-hmm. a negative way. I, I got to be careful. You know, the last time you and I talked about uh, Trump and, and go-betweens, I, I got trolled for uh, for months <laughs> after the fact. So try to keep this out of the, the, the political sphere. But, uh, mm. but you know, I, I guess politics is probably the, uh, the, the arena in which our, uh, our craft is, is most easily depicted to the public. Mm, I mean, part of the issue here is also that that PR has so many meanings. I mean, Rob Goldstone is not the kind of person that you or I would would ever come into contact with uh, in the PR industry. I can't say that I have, and uh, I can't say that I met too many uh, too too many like him. But um, you know, there are a lot of cowboys out there, and and use the term lightly to describe what they do. Mm, indeed, uh, it's something you would have seen as well, I suppose. Um, one of the, the the other stories that that brought PR onto the, if not the front pages and towards the front pages was um, was, was was when Ketchum was working for Russia, of course. Yeah. And yep. that was, um, I mean, I, I feel that was completely different to to the Bell Pottinger story. I'll say that you know straight up, but it was also an, an issue where it just became a target simply by virtue of the fact that uh, a PR agency was working for the government of Russia. Which, you know, when you look at it from when the assignment was taken on and so forth, there's nothing really wrong with that. But uh, it, it was it was certainly portrayed as being something, you know, intrinsically negative. Definitely, you know, I think whenever you pick up a uh, an assignment from a government or a business or in some cases even a, a charity, you're going to find uh, opposition, and you've just got to calculate. Uh, you know your, your own moral compass, uh, the nature of the work that you're being asked to do, and whether the hassles are uh, are, are worth it. And eventually, you uh, you might have to redraw the uh, the relationship and decide that it's it's not one that's that's viable anymore. And I think that's what happened. I know it's what happened with the uh, mm-hmm. the, the Ketchum engagement with, uh, with 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 Russia. For me, it really comes down to uh, what are you being asked to do, and and, and for what purpose. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not. Uh, so far on the on one sided spectrum that says everybody deserves PR counsel. I mean, this this isn't the law, um, so I'm not sure that that's a rule that I would uh, you know necessarily feel comfortable with personally. But but I do believe that if you picked up a uh, an assignment and it fits within your you know your your ethical or or, or moral framework, um, then the question you've got to ask is what am I being asked to do and and, and why. Um, and all of us in the business have have been asked to to do work for perfectly legitimate clients, but, but perhaps asked to do things that uh, are questionable. And I think that as, a, as professionals, that's where we have to draw a line and say that's not something that we'll, we'll consider. Mm. And I guess when you're, take, when you're making those kinds of decisions, you have to take into account the views of all the people working at an agency. You know, I would have thought, uh, 
Certainly with the Ketchum Russia uh, assignment, that would have been one of the factors in play, right? Ketchum is such a big company that there are lots of people who probably had no exposure to this account at all and maybe were wondering why they were seeing their employer always being reported in this manner. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was probably smaller than a tenth of the percent of, uh, of the total uh, workforce were, were working on that specific project, which, is, as you say, you know, was, was uh, originally to help with their handling of the G, I guess it was the G7 mm. uh, back then, and, and then evolved to handle broader economic issues, but, but never got into foreign policy issue or domestic rush issues. But that's, that's a hard, uh, complicated story to tell to uh, people who might have concerns about it. And, and eventually, uh, you know, it just gets too messy to try to, under, to, try to help people understand. So you decide to, to move away from that, from that relationship. It, I happened in that case, and in other cases, uh, helped set up a kind of a framework for us to evaluate how we how we look at different assignments. And and there are a few, maybe obvious, but worth repeating, uh, uh, I guess, dashboard instruments to look at. And, and the first is, uh, how do your people feel about it? And, and I would never ask anyone to work on any assignment uh, in any industry or any sector that they felt morally ethically or uh, legally un un uncomfortable with. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't take those assignments in the first place, but if someone had a, a different personal standard, I wouldn't ask them to, to work on that. Um, I also look to see what our other clients think. Um, and and if, if, you, if your partners, your business partners, have a problem with uh, a new assignment you've taken on, technically you're within your rights to, to keep that assignment, but you should probably be mindful of what your other clients and, and customers and partners are looking at. And of course, you know we operate in a in a publicly held environment, so we've got uh, public in, investors and uh, shareholders, and and they certainly have a, a right to, to be heard. So um, there there should be, and I think most of us do a pretty good job applying uh, a whole range of filters to the kind of work that we would accept uh, and the types of clients that we would uh, allow ourselves to be engaged with. But um, so bring us back to, to Bell Pottinger. Like I say, I, I don't have a specific view on that. I am on the PRCA board, and, and as you say, it's under review. So I, I wouldn't comment any, any further on it until it's resolved. But, but I am glad that they've taken the step of having an outside uh, outside counsel take a look at it, and, and hopefully that report will give everybody the assurance that they're ready to move on. Mm. I suppose one of the issues here is that the clients in most need of really good public relations councils are going to have reputation issues, right? They are going to come in with reputations that are compromised. And so, you know, they are in many cases companies or governments that you may, uh, you may think twice about representing. And, and, you know, it doesn't always look great. Yeah, I guess, you know, in some cases, those who come in for, uh, you know, for repairs are those that have either been in a wreck or, uh, mm. you know, or, or feel like they're, they're broken down in, in, in some way. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not uh, an assignment you should, you should take. Mm. Um, but again, it's what you're asked, what you're asked to do and, and how you're asked to, uh, to, to do it. So mm. my, my view is that if, if a client is willing to hear advice on how they need to change their behavior um, as a way of, of changing their reputation, that's a, uh, that's a conversation worth having. If, if they're not interested in talking about their behavior and simply want you to help change the conversation or misdirect the conversation or cover up the conversation, then that's, a, that's an assignment you really have to, to scratch your head and give serious thought to whether you're going to consider it. And I personally wouldn't consider it. Mm. 
Mm. I think that's, that's, you've hit the nail on the head there, and I think that's really important. It's an important um, point to get across. Uh, beyond that, is there a way for the PR industry to improve the way it's portrayed uh, in, in, the, in the general media, or is this just a battle that, that is just not worth fighting? You know, I, I don't want to say it's a battle not worth fighting. I, I'd like to see uh, PR portrayed positively. Uh, you know, I've had other conversations before. I, you know, maybe in a in a innocent way, I, I actually think that, that communications and PR, when it's done right, uh, should be and is a force for good. You know, mm. I think if we can help organizations understand the expectations that, that uh, the public or various constituents have of them uh, and then meet those expectations or uh, surpass those expectations. That's a that's a force for good, um, and and that really starts with with listening, with understanding, and then behaving in a way that that, that the public appreciates. And I, I think that that's something that uh, you know those of us who've been in the business for a long time can aspire to. And I think it's why PR continues to attract so many uh, you know uh, bright young things and in, in, uh, in, in, at university to it's, it's always one of the most popular courses. So I don't think we have a problem in. Uh, in, in that respect, um, I guess what, if we were going to focus on ways to improve our, our standing, to me, it would be to continue. And we've been talking about this for a long time. Continue our journey up the, uh, the corporate ladder or the, uh, the, the management ladders of the, of the clients that we have and make sure that we are helping in, influence the, the business behavior and not just the communications behavior of, of uh, you know, our clients, whether they're corporate charity or government. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because there's a lot of work that the industry can point to, and I think it should point to. I mean, if you think of some of, some of the great campaigns um, recently that have been you know, PR-led, things like um, uh, the DNA Journey, for example, Refugee Nation, um, uh, Born Again Simulator, these are all um, you know, amazing campaigns that, that really drive social good and so on, uh, and they are... PR campaigns, and I, I feel like the industry needs to do a better job of tying itself to these big pieces of work so that they're not always just being mentioned in the same breath as foreign dictators. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would be good if we had the, uh, the uh, counterpoint argument narrative uh, a little, little better framed, and maybe that's where we could practice what we, what we preach and maybe take our own, our own medicine and just be a little, a little more clear-cut and a little more consistent in the way we describe the, the, the good things that we do. But, you know, I, I think we're still, uh, you know, as, even with the PR industry, 90, 100 years old, depending on how you time it, it it's still small. It's still uh, fractious in, in a lot of ways. And um, that's part of what makes it vibrant and competitive. But it's also what makes it um, a little inconsistent in the way we describe ourselves. Mm. And, of course, it, it's, it's at varying stages of development, depending on which country you're talking about. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Which, uh, which definitely has an impact. Um, so, during your holiday, uh, I, I noticed you, you came back and you actually wrote a post on uh, on um, your thoughts on PR agencies, which I thought was very diligent of you, given that you were on, <laughs> on holiday. And, uh, you know, not, 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 really the, not the kind of thing I think about when I'm on holiday, I must admit. You know, it, it popped into my mind and actually uh, it started as a tweet and I think turned into a slightly longer uh, LinkedIn post. And, and actually what... What provoked it was uh, something uh, you had written in some commentary about uh, independent agencies versus holding company uh, uh, agencies, and uh, and there was a 
you know, healthy back and forth on the on the pros and cons. Of, <laughs> I did of see both. that. I just I, I just served uh, after writing the post. I just served as yeah, a you, spectator. You dropped that and ran, but uh, <laughs> you know, but it, you know, it was it's a good discussion. It, it's not the first time we've had that discussion, and not the, the last time. And and I say this both as uh, you know someone who works for a holding company, but also has played different roles in industry associations. It's it's a little bit of a of a silly discussion in, in my view. Uh, you know, I, I think there's plenty of room in this market for for holding company agencies, for independent agencies, for independent agencies that affiliate with holding company agencies. I, I think that it's a it's a it's a slightly misleading debate in terms of uh, you know producing any value for clients or, or mm. people. And, and what I was trying to think of is, you know, what are the things that we could be looking to to define uh, our industry or, or our agencies in the future? And if we stopped worrying a little bit about our ownership structure or our, our fee models and started to think about what are the, the bigger trends happening in the world, would, would that point to some things that we could we could look to? So, uh, you know, just off the top of my head, I, I came up with uh, – with, with a few, and, and some of these I don't know that much about, so I'm, I'm kind of waiting for someone to come back and say, you know, interesting idea, but you don't actually understand this, and we could take it off the uh, list and move on to something else. But I, you know, I, I do wonder about things like uh, artificial intelligence and, and and automation. You know, our industry to me feels ripe for uh, someone, and maybe this, they're working on this now, to to centralize some of our our functions and and, and meet them. Uh, more efficiently or more robustly through artificial intelligence or to uh, to, to automate uh, some of the services we provide. And, and you're already seeing mm-hmm. that in things mm-hmm. like media monitoring and reporting. And you know, there are a number of, of services supporting the industry that, that really are, are automation type uh, services. So I think that's one thing for us to, to look at. Uh, I've been trying to understand uh, blockchain technology and how that's disrupting mm. financial services. Let uh, me know I when you do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I got a collection of about ten infographics, and uh, they're all beautiful, but I still don't really get how it how it works. But um, mm. that's uh, that's that's more of a statement on on my limitations and that and the infographics. But but you know, uh, I just came back from uh, from China where I met with uh, both agencies and, and clients on how they look at. Uh, PR and communications, and in, in many cases, it's a much more transactional uh, model in, in, in terms of results not being measured in terms of coverage or advertising value, but but literally uh, pieces of content shared online. How many clicks or even sales did it generate? Now, I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying that's a that's a big part of the the market there. Mm. That's the kind of application that lends itself to, to blockchain. And it's the kind of application that, that could be used not just as a metric, but as a way for agencies or consultancies to be be paid in the future. So I'm just wondering when is the first consultancy going to say, you know, we take Bitcoin uh, or actually most of our revenue is paid in Bitcoin. I think we're 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 not too far away from something. I'm like, pretty like sure there is a consultancy that takes Bitcoin. I yeah, think... I, I, I bet there is. I don't, I don't know of anybody who has made that or have they tipped over into that's their primary um, way of being No, I, I, I suspect it was, it was done with the, with the headline in mind. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's, you know, that's kind of another point. I, I think that when some of these changes uh, kind of move past the tipping point, that will be, be news. But we probably won't see it happening 
incrementally. It'll be behind the scenes and uh, just ways that, that agencies are working. Now, you know, a comment that I made in, in that post that has gotten uh, a, a lot of traffic uh, specifically is, is kind of the Uberization yeah. of, of the workforce. That, that was and, the one that I thought uh, of these five is probably the most likely to, I think, happen soon sooner rather than later well it's happening now you know yeah. i there's a, there are agencies that, that we know here mm. uh, there are uh, uh, recruiting consultancies that that have a, a database of, of freelancers or sole practitioners um, so i i think that it's already happening uh, what i don't think has happened yet is is a common technology platform to uh you know to, to really bring it to to uber Airbnb level of, of a practice, but that too has to just be a, a matter of, of time, and that's mm. something you could easily see a big agency introducing, or you could see a, a startup service providing that to a big agency, or you could see something completely uh, new uh, popping up, but mm. that just makes sense, I think, with wider uh, technology trends, but wider labor trends, and mm. uh, you know that the whole uh, gig economy, I, I yep. think that that's probably a... Uh, that, that's probably likely. I agree, uh, and and maybe surge pricing <laughs> would be attractive too. <laughs> yeah, a different conversation to have with procurement uh, would be uh, <laughs> whether they've asked for this contract during the surge pricing. Yeah, indeed. Thanks. Indeed. Uh, so you also talked about uh, public benefit corporations agencies, which is actually something I wasn't that familiar with. Well, so I, I wasn't either, and I, uh, I, I happened to stumble, stumble across an article on, uh, on Kickstarter, um, and I think it was in the, the BA magazine, to be honest, but, uh, but that, that they had just or recently um, reclassified themselves under U.S. tax law as a, as a public benefit corporation. So I, I dug in a little bit to that just to, to better understand it. And it's a, it's a pretty straightforward notion that basically says, in addition to uh, meeting shareholder expectations for, for profit, you will also serve the, uh, the wider community or, or society. Mm. And that's a, a slight or maybe a significant step beyond corporate social responsibility in terms mm -hmm. of saying part of your mission is to, uh, is, to, is to include stakeholders beyond shareholders. And that to me is an interesting idea as, as well. And I could see a, an agency either adapting that or uh, starting on, on the basis that uh, to, to play a, a more important role in wider society, mm. that would be the basis of, uh, of Is this you know, organization. The same as a uh, what's what's referred to sometimes as a B corporation. I don't I don't know that term. I, I did mm. see several other kind of uh, classifications, and I think in, in the UK system there are uh, tax system there are different ways of classifying trust and. Mm -hmm. Uh, in, in, in other businesses, but uh, it just surprised me that an organization uh, as quickly successful as, as Kickstarter mm -hmm. uh, would move to, uh, to, to that model. Now, now, maybe they had the luxury of, of being able to move to that model in ways that, that, that others don't because they have been so, so successful. But I, I guess the, the point, whether that's the, the exact organizational structure, legal structure that companies or agencies want to adapt is, is maybe beside the point. I, I just think that with uh, well, millennials moving through the workforce and now next generation uh, talent moving into the workforce, the, the idea of, of a truly social res socially responsible employer, uh, I think, is, is attractive. And I think that we've probably gone as far down the road for corporate social responsibility as we can without moving into something 
newer and, and, and more compelling. So I, I think you will see agencies that that organize themselves along that along that basis. I think I think you're right. I think it will be very attractive to staff, um, and also plays well for you know the kind of corporate and CSR council that lots of agencies are providing. Gosh, that's a very loud yep. bird. Yep. A... Uh, yeah, sorry. I'm, uh... <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> that's all right. But anyway. Uh, and the dogs finally, are in the garden. The uh, dogs are in the garden, so you've been, you've been spared uh, their, their commentary. <laughs> Thankfully. Um, and then interlocking networks, which I guess uh, y- you mentioned agency networks. Um, so I, I suppose what you're talking about is, is, is big agency brands, for example, just working together more in the, in the way yeah, and, and, yeah. we're seeing under OPRG. Yeah, and that's obviously a little self-serving on, on, on my part, but I, mm. I did make it number five, hopefully, in, 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 uh, <laughs> with due modesty. But yeah, you know, in some markets, we've, um, we've literally brought our, our larger networks to, together in a, in, in a formal way. Um, and that's, that's a reflection, really, of those markets more than, than anything else. But you know, here in the UK, I've had conversations with the heads of our, of our larger networks. And, and just in kind of brainstorm mode, we've talked about the fact that in London, uh, among our larger agencies, we, we have a thousand consultants. Um, now, they're all organized under their, their network brands and, and deployed that way and, and successful that way. So there's no reason to, to change that. Uh, but there is, I think, incentive to think about how we could make these networks uh, a little more interchangeable in terms of being able to bring the best of, of, of several uh, uh, networks together to, to serve new clients or, or, or new opportunities. And even talking to clients, when I mentioned that in the UK, we have uh, a thousand consultants in our various brands, that's you know they raise their eyebrows and, and ask to hear a little bit more. So, I think the challenge for us or for me is to figure out how do you make these these networks interlock uh, and, and hold up to uh, to challenges from from clients and, and pick up new assignments without compromising the uh, you know the foundations that they've been built on the, the brands that they've been established. But it's a it's an exciting challenge, and I think you'll see uh, you know more from us. You're already seeing it in different settings in, in different holding companies, uh, even outside of PR, you know, how they bring their, their offers together. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's an ex- that's a, you know, also an exciting time to, uh, or an exciting part of the, the story that's unfolding right now. Sure. And I mean, I mean, obviously you're, you're, you're probably familiar with the, with the issues that these, that this kind of trend throws up. I and mean, we, we, we wrote a, uh, a piece after, after OPRG, brought together its agencies in four European markets, just about the preserving, I guess, the value of the individual agency brands and, and to what end do they exist, I guess, which is what... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, and that's a valid point. I mean, that's mm. what I spend a lot of time uh, you know, tackling. I, I think where we have some benefits, uh, I won't call them advantages, but the fact that these are all companies that are owned by Omnicom in the first place, uh, they all yeah. have pretty similar... Uh, cultures and, and orientations. It, it wasn't like we brought radically different um, businesses together and said, "Now cooperate." They, they were all kind of cut from similar cloths, if maybe not the same cloth. So, uh, so it, it wasn't a, a big bridge to uh, a big gap to, to, to bridge. But, mm. but yeah, they, they have different orientations, they have different experiences, um, and they have a different place in, in, in the market. So, that's something that we have to be pretty vigilant about, making sure that we don't lose what what was built um, while we're trying to offer something new to uh, to clients. Mm. Just going back to the, uh, the, the the first point on artificial intelligence and, and automation, I, you know, I think we're seeing the benefits of, of automation already. 
uh, not just in terms of you know, agency processes around reporting and analytics, but even in some of the, the ways that, um, that agencies and, and, and companies are using technology to automate their marketing processes. Um, but how do you see, if at all, artificial intelligence impacting um, the idea of, uh, of specialist public relations counsel? Um, I'm not sure if, I, if I'm totally following the, the, the question, but I, I guess where, where I see uh, artificial intelligence, I, I think it is already in, in, um, you know, making itself felt, is, is, is culling through loads of, of data to mm-hmm. generate uh, insights. Um, and, and to do so in, in a way on a scale that humans simply can't do, mm-hmm. um, with objectivity that humans simply can't uh, apply. And at least present a few short list of, uh, of possible, uh, you know, insightful strategic solutions to uh, to, to problems, and, and, and give us a, a better platform for applying, you know, more human creativity and and, and solutions. So, um, so I think that's already happening. I, I think that uh, most of us in the PR business simply don't have access. Uh, to the kind of data that, that we would like or that, you know, an IBM might, might have. But, but I can see that as the, as the cost of information continues to decline, uh, the opportunity for us to, to get in on that and then make it useful for our, our clients will, will be appealing, and, and inevitably so. In, in terms of specialists, I, I think that um, you know, there will always be room for, for humans to take their experience mm-hmm. and, and look at uh, – look at data uh, from a perspective and through a filter that, that others wouldn't be able to, to do. But do you, do you perhaps envisage a, a day when we're seeing less humans employed because some of these things are being done, you know, by algorithms or robots or whatever you want to uh, call them? Uh, you know, I, I think that we, we might. Um, but I think we might see humans employed in a different a different way. Um, so, uh, and this is one of the, the, the things that I would like to see us spend some time discussing at, at the industry level. Um, and it kind of goes back to our other conversation about the different types of agencies. There really aren't huge differences in the types of agencies, regardless of how they're owned or structured or or are deployed. You know, they're all based on kind of this leveraged expertise model, where you've got somebody with some uh, a lot of experience, maybe supported by someone less expensive with a little less experience underneath them, supported at the, at the bottom of the pyramid by, uh, by the least expensive people uh, with the least amount of experience. And that's the model that we've been churning through for, for decades. I think the disruption that automation or artificial intelligence has is in replacing um, you know, one part of that or multiple parts of that, that model. And it may mm. not be at the bottom. You know, it may not just be that we're going to automate some of the junior, so-called junior functions. Uh, it could be that the, the mid-level or senior functions, uh, you know, are augmented or, or replaced by, mm. uh, you know, by, by algorithms. Um, and I think like any big disruption, there'll be winners on the back of that. Um, there'll be those, who, there'll be survivors and they'll, and then there'll be losers. And, um, the challenge and the conversations I want to start having is, you know, how do we at least survive and, and maybe win and as we go through these these disruptions rather than kind of, I think, somewhat, um, you know, self-reference conversations about whether it's better to be an independent or, or a network. I, I just don't mm-hmm. think those are, are that salient today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because 
whenever I've, I've actually tried to have that kind of conversation around, you know, how could artificial intelligence disrupt the industry, I, I do always sense that there's a kind of collective view that it's not a threat at all because what public relations does is so reliant on, on people providing advice that, you know, you could never replace it. And I do feel that's a little self-serving. Um, and, or hopeful. Uh, hopeful, yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. And I do think it's a discussion that, that needs to be had. And, um, you know, it needs to be had honestly. Yep, yep. Well, um, you know, I, I don't want to, I'd never be the person to say that uh, we will all be completely replaced by, by robots uh, or that there's nothing human in the, in the practice of, of PR. I mean, of, of course there is. But but I, I also think it's naive to think that there aren't significant strands of what we do and what we get paid for that, that can't be done one way or another by by machines and um, and generally the market finds a way to make those things happen whether we we want it to or, or not so um, you know I hope that we can start having some of the more uh, uncomfortable conversations um, you know about these things and, and I think we can you know we we started to talk pretty openly and honestly about challenges in diversity and um, you know, gender balance in the workforce versus the management force. And uh, so uh, I, I think we can have these conversations, but it's going to require, uh, you know, a lot of repetition and a, a lot mm. of kind of redirecting the conversation back to the things that matter. Yeah, and I think we need to see it actually working. We need examples of how it will, will actually impact agency practice. And I don't think we have them. Um, you know, we don't, they're not as visible, perhaps. Yeah, that's a fair be. point. It's pretty abstract right now. So mm. I, I think even if you agree with it intellectually, it's hard to find a, uh, uh, you know, a concrete example or say, okay, now I get it and I see how I can make it work. Mm. And by the way, just coming back to the independent versus global network debate, which uh, you described as not entirely irrelevant, but uh, <laughs> mostly <laughs> irrelevant. Uh, I should point out, I mean, I think with, with that one, what I was really looking at was whether a big MNC would ever give their business to a, an independent network of that nature. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because that's something I've never really seen. Yeah, uh, I was trying to think if, if there was an example of that or, or mm. not. Uh, I, I'm not aware of any examples, but, but honestly, I don't know if that's because uh, there's an innate preference for network agencies over over independence or, or otherwise. Uh, I would expect that uh, if an independent network uh, would prevail uh, in that type of a pitch, I think you you used the Axel Nobel example, mm. it, it, it would be because they had something to offer other than being an independent, you know, that they have either some maybe a tech solution or a talent solution or uh, some other solution that uh, that they're able to, to bring, and maybe that's by virtue of, of being independent. But but I don't think that being an independent alone is enough to to sell on that basis any more than I think being a network is is enough to sell on that that basis. Mm. Now there could be some client bias towards one or the other, but I I suspect that uh, as I was trying to say that I, I think that the successful agency will be those that distinguish themselves on something other than their ownership structure. Mm. Well, I'm sorry if you ended up getting. Oh no no no! Your, your <laughs> no no no! no. I, that, actually, that was a good conversation. That was a helpful conversation. Oh, good. I, I got trolled on some uh, on political comments from our earlier podcast, but that that was okay too. I, I'm a big boy. I can take it. Yeah, no, clearly you 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 seem to enjoy it, and it, well, I wouldn't say enjoy it, but I think it's it's actually important that um, you don't let the uh, the trolls win. Um, <laughs> 
David, thank you so much for your time. And uh, I suspect that yeah, next, always a pleasure. Yeah, our next conversation will probably be in Hong Kong or Singapore or somewhere. Yeah, I'll look forward to that. Good luck with packing. I, I don't envy you, but uh, soon you'll be in your new home, and I wish you all the best. Great, thank you. We'll be uh, we'll be back with the Echo Chamber probably in a couple of weeks. Uh, you can of course find us on iTunes, on on various podcast players. Uh, you can get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook and so forth. Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to the Echo Chamber. Brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by Marketeers. Sponsored by March Communications, connecting innovation and people.